0: You know you've got to sing along. But don't you know This is the Cabinets HR Culture Podcast, hosted by Daniela Young. Join Daniela as she has great conversations with people on the importance of culture and leadership in organizational behavior. You will hear the great, the bad, and the ugly as she talks to a huge variety of guests in different fields. Are you looking for ways to improve your culture? Then this is the podcast for you you will gain great insights from these great conversations the Cabinet hr podcast is brought to you by Cabinet hr at Cabinet hr we deliver hr to companies with 49 or fewer people by automating the hr process we believe that you don't need a full-time hr person to receive full-time hr expertise come to cabinethr.com to see how cabinet's hr can take care of your hr so you can focus on building your company and taking care of your customers Remember to be great every day.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Cabinet HR podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinet. Our guest today is Sapna Mahatra. Sapna, are you ready to be great today? Absolutely. She brings more than two decades of international management consulting experience in sales and business operations, in the technology, financial services and telecommunication industries. She started a career at Accenture and became the global business change and organization practice lead. She also teaches introduction to management consultancy at George Brown College in Toronto. She is also a globally recognized certified management consultant and chartered professional accountant. She truly believes that education and awareness are instrumental in overcoming any obstacles and perception challenges both globally and locally. She started the Can Innovate podcast focused on Canadian innovators that are changing the game and hosting masterclasses to deepen our knowledge and skills. You can find her walking, hiking, exploring your areas and trying to win the world's greatest and award and discovering new places to brunch and inventing new recipes. Thank you very much for being here today. I really appreciate it.
2: No, I really appreciate it. I mean, Jason, I'm a big fan of your podcast, number one. Uh, I'm an active listener. You've got some pretty incredible people that have been here, like real trailblazers. And two, congratulations on the second podcast launch. I mean, like I said, doing one is a lot of work, so doing two is amazing. So congratulations. That's a huge milestone.
1: Thank you. And thank you for being our first repeat uh, guest on the podcast. woo
2: It's an honor, a true honor.
1: So, you recently wrote a book. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So, I wrote a book called Connect the Dots about turning strangers into meaningful network connections and relationships. And it was actually inspired because I was teaching at one of the colleges here. And over the past two semesters, the students have been asking And again, they're not young students. They're ages of like, between ages of like 25 to 50. It's a post-grad college, uh, you know, diploma. And it's about, you know, consulting one-on-one and all that stuff. And one of the things that they've really had a hard time doing is networking. And every class, the students would come in and go, okay, I'm not, I go to these events and I just kind of get business cards. It's like, you know, Oprah, you get one and you get one. Everybody just gets business cards. So they have a collection of business cards and they're like, now what do I do? And then, you know, I give them some tips and what kind of conversations did you have? And so on. And they'd be like, uh, and then the next class, I'd be like, okay, I went to another one event and I honestly it was a wastage of my time. And every class, it was just the reoccurring theme of they just couldn't connect with people to help them actually progress to where they wanted to go. And they didn't know how to have those conversations. So over the semester, the book wrote itself because every class, it kind of happened. And I think one of the things that has happened is that we all have a sense of urgency. We meet somebody and we want something We need something for in our lives, whether it's a job or a mentor, inspiration, or just a friend. I mean, a lot of people are really lonely in life. And one of the things that has been really challenging is that, you know, when you meet somebody for the first time and then you ask them for something. And I keep saying, like, if you move to a new neighborhood and you meet your neighbor for the first time, would you ask them to babysit your kid? You know, like, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't ask, just ask for favor just off the bat. You kind of have to build you know, some time of the relationship to get to know each other, like each other, and then you can trust each other, right? So especially when it comes to job hunting, you know, people want to refer people into their companies, but they're not going to refer somebody that they don't know because it's their reputation. So I actually put together really about how to build relationships and how networking is really a start of a conversation. And it builds an to a relationship over time, but you have to add value to them first and then you'll get something in return, but not like a tennis match. You know, I give you something and then you give me something in return. You know what I mean? Like it just seems to be something we've kind of got expecting that everything is on demand. When I need something, Thing, there's going to be someone that's going to give it to me on demand. And, you know, and that's a big mistake, right? Like we should be networking all the time and it should be a basic life skill, but they don't teach it in schools, you know, how to network, you know, and it's kind of really scary because I was doing some research for the book and, One of the things I found was that there's a loneliness council that's been set up in the UK. And it's not just because of the elderly being lonely, it's all generations are being lonely. And then I found out about this friendship bench at schools, at grade schools, where kids have no one to eat lunch with or play with. So they sit on this bench. So people really are having a hard time connecting with each other in multiple different, you know, you know, demographics, age groups, you name it. And it's harder these days to kind of meet someone that you want to kind of connect with. So that's kind of the premise of the book is really about, hey, how do you kind of meet somebody and create that value and start to become a relationship, but also more practical because you know me, Jason, I'm all about being practical and tactical. Like People don't know how to do icebreakers, right? Like when you first meet somebody, you know, they will rhyme off their resume. So, you know, that boom, like that's kind of like where the problem starts. They ask you, what do you do? And they rhyme off their resume. We all roll their eyes and we have no idea what they said. And so I teach them about how to introduce yourself. So you create curiosity and intrigue and you can actually connect in a different way icebreaker questions, you know, that are fun, they're not cheesy, you know, like, hey, how's the weather or how's the baseball, like, things that are actually meaningful and playful, because it's not just about networking when you need it, it's about networking all the time. And I think that's the thing we've kind of forgotten how to do that, even at work. Regardless, if you're not you know looking for something, you should be learning to talk and connect with other people constantly to learn and grow from them. So yes, I yeah, I can't believe it. I've actually yeah, I've become an author. I love this book. I it's just been inspired by so many different directions.
1: So did I hear you right? Do you say it only took you one semester to write
2: the book? It okay. It literally took me one semester for me to write. Well. It didn't write the book. The book wrote itself. So then I sat down to start writing it. I thought it would take me not very long to write it. But, you know, we talk about lessons learned. Yeah. Book writing takes a long time. There's so many things. I I thought once you write it, you've got content. But no, it's uh, the title, the, you know, the graphic art, the formatting, the layouts. Like, it's just a never stop, stop. So I definitely underestimate how long it would take to get the book out to the marketplace. So any lessons learned from writing the book that you can share with us? Oh, totally. One, definitely just write. Don't edit. Because we start to kind of edit, and that's a big mistake. Because then you kind of go into this, like, circle, you know, we're perfecting something. Like, just get your first draft. Just do write whatever, write so many hours in a day. And I'm going to say I used to write just one hour a day in the morning. Um, sometimes I would do it by candlelight because it would be so dark outside and I just kind of wasn't ready to get my eyes completely open. But definitely, yeah, write, but don't edit. Because once you start editing as you're writing, it honestly will never get done. And that was a big mistake that I did because I, you know, didn't like this and I didn't like that. And you, we're just a, you know, We're critics of our own work, really, at the end of the day. So just write without thinking.
1: Did you find that different cultures network differently?
2: Totally. Very, very, very much so. So one of the things is that, you know, even terminology is so different. Like, I actually had a student in my class, two students, and they spoke Spanish fluently. One happened to be from Brazil. One happened to be from Mexico. So they're explaining a word like jaquita. And one country meant jacket. In another country, it totally meant something terrible. Like it's a profound, like it's a swear word. And even though it's, you know, the dialect, you know, it's very different across regions, but yet we all think the language is the same. So we gotta really pay attention to that. And on top of that, like you look at your body language, for example, some countries, people are really close in proximity. And they stand really close, and you're like, oh, I'm not comfortable. Because like, as a North American, I'm not comfortable when someone just met me and stand so close, right? So different cultural dynamics have that. So I kind of listed some of those in the book as well to kind of go, hey, guys, just be aware of your surroundings. Not everyone is the same.
1: When you go to network events, you go there with like a go, like, I'm going to go to the network event, and connect with five people on LinkedIn, or she just go there and just go with the flow, whatever happens, happens.
2: No, I have a very clear objective when I go to networking events of what I'm looking for. So that's the thing that biggest, another mistake is we go to these things and we don't have an objective. And one of the objectives could be that you just want to find somebody inspiring and, and that's okay. So then you're looking for inspiration so you can cultivate the conversation. But other ones are looking for, say, a job. Or for me, I was like, you know, looking for podcasts, great guests. So when I go to these networking events, I research to see whether or not it's worth my time going to see, you know, how the event's being put on, you know, what kind of people caliber, is it the right age group, right demographic uh, experience and so on? Because a lot of the times we just pick a networking, we're going to go, but it might not be the right caliber of people that you want to go and see. And two, I kind of, look at the list of who's there to see if that's somebody that I'm interested in. And then I try to actually connect with them beforehand saying, Hey, looks like you and I are going to go. I was hoping to chat about X, Y, and Z or whatever it is. So it's kind of like when I meet them, it's not a cold introduction. It's warm. You know, we kind of get familiar. I saw some of their blogs. I saw some of their tweets, you know, so we're not cold when we meet each other, but it's hard because not a lot of events produce lists that you can see who's actually going to attend, right? Uh, they just getting people through the door and they don't allow you to actually create a proper networking experience where you can really connect with people. So you kind of stand there.
1: So I think a lot of us do networking wrong, but I think even more of us fail at following up after, the, after networking. How can we improve on following up after we meet somebody?
2: Uh, this is such a good question because we have to not just, I spend time and I debrief, like I, just like any me, I take time to put some notes together about what it was that we discussed. I put down what are some things I promised. I may have promised them an article or I may have promised them that I was going to connect them to something because I tend to want to provide value to people. um, So then, you know, later on down the road, when I need something, they'll be able to help me. But I always spend time to debrief. And sometimes even throughout a conference, I'll just take a step back, grab myself a cup of coffee start putting things into my Evernote about X, Y, and Z, or I write on the back of their business card. Hopefully it's not glossy, you know? Uh, And so I can actually put that information there and be like, okay, this is what I need to remember about this person. And I also write down things like, our key things. So for example, you know, one, uh, the gentleman that I was, you know, had met, he was talking about his daughter that was, you know, 12 years old is totally into architecture. And so I wrote that down that his daughter's into, you know, interested in architecture. And when I followed up, I said, it was so great. Here's a book that I think is be really interesting that for your daughter, cause you know, I had known about it. Um, and he was just like, Oh, thanks for remembering such a small detail. And, but it's something that's important to him, right? His daughter is obviously very important to him. Yes. So, I always take the time to debrief and write down notes and think, and what's my next steps? How am I going to continue the conversation? Where are we going to go? Because um, you got to think about it, because it is the start of something.
1: So, from my opinion, you go to a networking event, you make good connections and bad connections. How can we improve on increasing the time we spend with our good connections and decreasing the time we spend with our bad connections?
2: we could, the best part about networking is you're there to meet lots of people. So after you say, let's say we, you meet someone that's a terrible connection and you're like, okay, you don't need to invest in time. Now you don't run away and you know, you just just kind of let the conversation go and then go, you know what? It was so nice to meet you. I see someone across the room I need to say hi to. And then you know, exit and leave, right? With a sense of decorum. Like don't quickly, you know, dart out and cut the conversation, right? Because people remember how they, their experience was with you, you know, and people are testing and trying things out. So yes, bad connections and you don't want to invest too much time. You know that it's not a good fit. You don't feel there's a good connection to things, you know, so you've just got to make that exit kind of happen.
1: So should you, should you network by yourself or with a group of friends or a group of people?
2: Oh, it's kind of one of those things where, look, if you are going to network with a wing person, that is totally cool. Don't stand in a group all day long because it makes you unapproachable, right? Like, I see this all the time. and And I'm like, okay, I see five people, they're having a great time. They're standing at the bar by the food. And you're like, oh, I want to be part of that. But it's kind of hard when. To kind of break into that kind of social circle. So, yes, go with maybe one person that's your wing person if you need that extra comfort, but make sure you kind of debrief your wing person to kind of go, hey, I am looking for X, Y, and Z. And sometimes you can leverage them to help toot your horn a little differently, right? Like, hey, you know, can you highlight X, Y, and Z, you know, if need to be, or help me stimulate the conversation? Because, you know, some of us are really shy, you know, and it's hard to make. Conversation with complete strangers. Not everyone is an extrovert.
1: Yeah, me personally, I go to n- Network event. I see like four or five people talking in a group. I never approach them. I just <laughs> say, I just leave. I don't waste my time. I just, I just leave it alone.
2: I know. It's like a do not enter sign. And I never understand why people do that because it's just so not welcoming.
1: You know? So, change the subject just a little bit. Talk about your love for Monopoly.
2: Oh, my gosh. My addiction to Monopoly boards and games is ridiculous. And I started when I was a young kid. I actually saw an article in a newspaper. Yes, that's how old I am. You know, the newspapers that we used to get at the front door and there was this worldwide Monopoly championship. And I was like, is that such a thing? Like I would love to be part of it. And I was like, but is Monopoly really game of strategy or chance? So I started to play it a lot more, but then every country I went to had a different Monopoly board, right? For the streets that are popular there and that city and so on. And I just fell in love with that dimension of that because it got a chance to kind of find some of the uniqueness of it and what kind of is a flavor of that culture or country or whatever it is. So I end up getting Monopoly boards for, I don't know, I think I must have about 50 different Monopoly boards for different countries. And yeah, they're hilarious. They're really, really wonderful. So is your strategy
1: to Monopoly, go after like pork Place Boardwalk or to go after the lower price properties?
2: I'm a lower price properties type of girl, because you know what, the chance of probability of you landing on it, it's going to happen, you know, but to be fair, I still love Marvin Gardens. Marvin Gardens is kind of the key area like to get hit. That's for sure. I think one of these days we'll have to play it. I, you know, I think there's virtual Monopoly games too you could play, but I can't do that because I'll end up being addicted to that.
1: For What's your advice for people who are like, extroverts or introverts as far as like networking? How do each of these you know, demographics go about networking?
2: You know what's really funny is two things. I just learned a new term called ambivert. So it's in between an introvert and an extrovert. So there's the middle. And I think that's phenomenal. Now, we always think extroverts have the upper hand. And the truth of the matter is they don't. The introverts do. You can be asking one or two questions to somebody and just be a deep, active listener and barely say anything at all. And the person will leave thinking, wow, I just had the best connection with this person. Because you are actively listening and engaged and letting them talk. So I think that when we say, you know, networking and extrovert, no, honestly, introverts have an upper hand because they see things differently. They hear things differently. And honestly, people feel more comfortable. Like, people love talking about themselves. It's a comfortable sweet spot for them, right? So you can ask one question and they'll go off, right? And you could just stand there and barely say anything, but they will remember you as the best conversationalist and they have the best time with you. And you said nothing.
1: Yeah, I consider myself an introvert. So some things I do, I, you know, I do the same, like you said. Other things too, I do like if I go there, like suppose something starts at 7 p.m., I go to 7.15 15. I'm off for a lead because I'm not going to talk to anyone. You know, there's it's already started. Mm-hmm. So what I do, I usually arrive like ten minutes early and meet people when they come to the door, and I try to talk to five people like that. Is what I use. It's like a trick I use.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. And another one I usually do is I get early to an actual event. And I talk to the organizer, find the connector in that room and tell them what I'm looking for. And they've sent people over to me across the room because I was there earlier. I might help them set up the chairs or whatever it is. Um, And they understand what it is that I'm looking for. And yeah, I get a volume of people coming to me and it helps that connection even faster.
1: Can you talk a little bit about how important it is for someone who, even though they have a job right now, that for them to continue to networking?
2: You know, it's funny because one of the things that's a big mistake is we only network when we need something and we should be networking all the time in general. Now, whether you're looking for a new job or not, it's irrelevant. It's about seeing what opportunities are out there and connecting with different types of people. So if you're at work, and this is what management consultants do so well, is one, we never eat lunch alone. Like we're always sitting with different people. It doesn't matter what level, we're sitting with different people because we want the ears on the ground. So it's a great way to mitigate your risk, to get a pulse point, what's going on in your organization, to hear the water cooler talks. But really, you know, if you're working on a project and say you're in marketing why not have somebody in fine at lunch with somebody in finance? Is so somebody that you work with? Build a bit of a relationship, it'll make you a stronger team player and dynamic when you're on that project. And then they're going to refer you to other types of projects, and it's going to grow your visibility inside the organization because you're going to other departments are tooting your horn about how great you are to work with, how approachable you are, and how dynamic. And again, you don't have to go out for lunch, you could just bring your brown bag, go sit together, and they'll introduce you to other people. So, networking shouldn't be just about when you need to job hunt. It should be that you're talking to different people to always have the eyes in the back of your head and to see what else is kind of going on. And it's amazing how much we don't leverage that as an opportunity.
1: How so does someone approach networking on LinkedIn?
2: LinkedIn is a funny tool. It is a, it's just like any social media tool. And I have a, I mean, I have networked with so many people and I have probably will never meet them face to face. And it's a great way to do it. One of the ways I do and I always suggest is if there's somebody that you really want to meet, start following them. Now, I'm not saying become a stalker. Do not become a stalker. That's the worst. But start to like one or two of their posts here and there. People love that. And then share some of their posts once in a while. People will always remember that you found something they did valuable and you shared it. It's extending their brand. It's kind of tooting their horn and it's a a subtle compliment and they're kind of go, who is this person? And then, then you can comment on posts and it doesn't necessarily have to be that you agree with them. You can say, hey, that's an interesting point of view. Have you considered this angle about whatever, blockchain or what what that will have on the industry? And this banter will start. And next thing you know, you're like, hey, private DM, hey, do you happen to be in Toronto or you happen to be in Seattle? Do you want to meet up for coffee? And you already have something that you're already, you know, common with. In fact, I have a best story. This guy, Jay. He did this exact same thing to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no clue. And he started off by, you know, liking a couple of my posts. And I'm like, huh. And then all of a sudden I got this, message from, you know, the podcasting, I got another rating and review and it came from this guy, Jay. And I was like, wait a minute, why is that name familiar to me? So I go back to look and I'm like, Oh, so I message him. I said, Hey, thank you so much for the review. I really appreciate it. And he's like, yes, I really like the X, Y, and Z episodes and blah, blah, blah. In fact, I, you know, I would love to get introduced to a couple of other people that should be on your podcast. So that's great. And then I started looking into him. I'm like, wait a minute. He's a CEO of another amazing fintech. Not once did he ask to be on the podcast. And in fact, we just recorded this morning because I asked him because he got me curious to know who he is. He provided value to me first, got me curious enough and thankful enough that I approached him. And that's what we need to remember is we got to keep providing value to people. So whether it is not just liking, commenting, but sharing somebody's post that they've taken so much time to write or put a comment on it, it means a world to a lot of people. It really does. So let's suppose
1: someone out there, they're looking for a job, new opportunity, whatever the case may be, and they've never networked before and they're like, you know what, I don't want to put myself out there. I'm too shy. All these excuses. How do you convince them to know what, don't be scared, put yourself out there?
2: you've got nothing to lose. In fact, in the book, I actually put a section about how to kind of have a better mindset and some actual activities about having a mindset for it. The truth of the matter is no one is great at doing anything the first time. So if you go into any kind of networking events your first time, be okay to make the mistakes, but look at it from an experimental point of view. They're not going to remember you. You're probably never going to see them again, but you get to use it as a way to kind of test and try out what messages worked or how did they see that in their body language, and then you keep refining it. So always use it as a way to experiment and to fine tune it, and it takes away a lot of pressure. The other thing is, go with the intent of, I'm not looking to get something from someone. I'm just there to meet interesting people. And again, it takes away so much of that pressure from you that you, gotta, you have to get something, you have to close something, you have to whatever. You're just there to try to meet some interesting people. Can you cultivate that conversation? So just experiment. It's just trial and error. It's taken me like years to kind of figure out how to, to come up with the perfect introductions and whatever it is to make people laugh. And tell us one more time the title of your, title of your book. It's called Connect the Dots, Turning Strangers into Meaningful Network Relationships.
1: And it's available on Amazon, correct?
2: Correct, it is. That's right. And the book title is really funny because my nine-year-old niece, who is a crazy, avid book reader, like I literally call her Belle from Beauty and the Beast because her nose is always stuck in a book. So she's been very curious about this, me writing this process. So she asked me, what's your book about? So I explained about creating connections and so on. And she said, oh, it's kind of like connect the dots and hence the book was the title was born
1: that's a great story
2: yeah i like it too because you know and i really am writing it for my nieces and my nephew because i'm hoping that one day you know it's going to be there to teach them because if people are already having a hard time in this generation of connecting what hope do my nieces and nephew have <laughs>
1: <laughs> can you share your social media links for yourself and your company
2: yeah, so you can follow me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people and smart people. So Sapna Malhotra. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me very active on um, Instagram, actually. You can do it under the podcast, Can Innovate, or my name. I'll, I'll send you all the show links.
1: Yes, and we'll have the link to a to book on Amazon and all social media links on our show notes. You can find the show notes at com. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Cavendish HR podcast on iTunes, Amazon, Alexa. So we'll come to the end of our talk. Can you provide us any last-minute wisdom or advice or any any subject you'd like to talk
2: about? You know what? But the truth of the matter is, my advice to everyone is, don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, every time I've put myself out there, I've had, so many other opportunities uh, i wouldn't have taught at the, the college i wouldn't have written this book like it's amazing how many times and it wasn't that i was perfect at all this stuff it happens to be that i put it out there so don't be afraid to try thank you for that
1: advice Much appreciated thank you for your time today really appreciate it thank you for being our first second time guest
2: thank you so much jason really appreciate your time i love your
1: podcast thank you so listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Kavniss HR Culture Podcast. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and TikTok at Kavniss HR. Also, check out our weekly live streams at the Kavnis HR Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Periscope, where we focus each week on an HR topic important for small business. These are every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and last around three minutes. To join our weekly HR email newsletter list, send us an email to jasonkavnis at kavnishr.com. Thank you, and remember to be great every day.